Welcome to 27 Speaks, a weekly podcast with the staff of the Express News Group who share their insights into the latest stories making news on the East End of Long Island. 27 Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com And we are recording. Hey, everybody. It's kind of sunny out today. Isn't that exciting? Finally. Yeah, the snow. I can barely see snow out my window. A little warm, too. Wow, it's something. So, yeah, it's been kind of a long winter here on the east end of Long Island. But we're back again. Um, And this time, we are here to talk about a piece of real estate that just hit the market in Sac Harbor. And this one is a very interesting tale because it revolves around one of the world's most famous authors, and that would be John Steinbeck who bought the property in the um, 1950s with his wife, Elaine Steinbeck. And it's a little bit under two acres. It's at the end of Bluff Point Road, which is kind of almost like a little dead end road that dead ends into the cove of Sag Harbor. Little idyllic piece of property. With a sprawling 1,200 square foot two bedroom house on it, right? Oh, the house is nothing. A sprawling manse. I've been in that house. <laughs> it's like, it, it feels uninsulated and... Um, is uh, it's got a great view it's got a dock which is worth you know something down in these parts and it has of course joyous guard which is steinbeck's famous i think it's octagonal shape writing studio and i remember appearing in the windows there when on a couple of the times i was invited to the property and you would have uh, the writing desk there looking out at the water and there would be a, a pad of paper and a few well sharpened pencils ready to go that's sort of how it was left and inside the house, I remember seeing on the wall, John had charted the heights of his children. And it was great because he'd have all the kids, you know, the, the, the two kids would be, you know, where they should be. And then way at the top, he had Beowulf. And way at the bottom, he had Toulouse Lautrec. Was- <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty awesome. You know what? Uh, so you sold me. How, how much am I going to have to pay for this, Anna? So. I'm sure that your 401k will cover this. 17.9 million is the asking price for this piece of property. Mm. Is that negotiable? Well, at least it's not 18. (laughs) It may be after the bidders (laughs) start jumping in. That's a deal. So before we jump in, I'm going to do our introduction so everybody knows who we are. So manning the controls is our own Bill Sutton. Hey, Bill. Hi, Annette. I'm Bill Sutton. I'm the managing editor of the Express News Group. And we also have Steve Coates here today who's one of our, our illustrious writers. Hi, Steve. Hi, I'm Stephen Coates. I'm a reporter for the Express News Group. And Brendan J. O'Reilly's here. Hey, Brendan. Hi, I'm Brendan. I am the features editor. And Joe Shaw's here again. Hi, Joe. How you doing? Joe Shaw, uh, executive editor of the Express News Group. And possessor of a 401k that's worth $18 million. I wish. If I, if I could, I would just trade it, trade it right over. Uh, and it could really spread out in that 1200 Square foot house, no question. Yeah. And my name's Annette Hankel, and I'm the arts and living editor of the Express News Group. And also sitting in with us today is Catherine Zoka. And Catherine is the owner of, a co owner, I should say, with Marianne Calendrill of Canio's Books in Sag Harbor, which is a literary institution. And um, over the years, Catherine and Marianne have hosted many author events. And Steinbeck has been the, um, the topic of some of the uh, discussions they've had there. So, hi, Catherine. How are you today? Hey, I'm great. I'm happy to be here. And it's right now during the winter of our discontent, I think. Part- 
<laughs> well played. Yes. Okay, Catherine, that's a great segue. Do you want to talk a little bit about the the books that John Steinbeck would have written during his time here in Sag Harbor, which started in the 1950s and lasted through um, his death in 1968? Uh, absolutely, be happy to do that. And first of all, let's remember John Steinbeck, Nobel Prize winning author, the only one who only Nobel Prize winner on the East End. Uh, his home definitely deserves preservation, if anything does, out here. John wrote The Winner of Our Discontent while he lived here. And John Steinbeck, you know, listen, lots of writers have lived on the East End. There's no question about that. But no other writer has been so integral to the village life of Sag Harbor than John Steinbeck. He actually started the Modern Whalers Festival. I mean, this guy was in every institution up and down Main Street, especially when they were all bars. <laughs> really no stranger to Sag Harbor back in the day when it was salty. The winner of our discontents, for those of you who haven't read it, uh, demerits, you better get right on it. But the book really takes place in Sag Harbor in the 50s, it, 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 but it, it also captures Sag Harbor today. Uh, the people from the away versus the people that live here, the people with money versus the people with no money, uh, the people of one color versus people of another color. Immigration issues is all bound up into this slender volume that starts at Easter and ends on July 4, from the sacred to the secular. That's the winner of our discontent. That's Psych Harbor now. Mm -hmm. Let's save John Steinbeck's home. And also famously, John Steinbeck started our tra um, travels with Charlie from that very home. There's a scene, I think it's Hurricane Donna coming up uh, into the cove and he has to go out and secure his boat. Um, and that's sort of where he takes off from, right? Wildly funny, it's great. You, ha you, know, you have to read that, it's really wonderful. The Fair Elaine, what's the name of the boat? Named after his wife. And the name of his camper was? Rossinata. There you go. That's, is that from uh, Don Quixote? Exactly. Okay, good. I've got my literary references straight. Boris Garden is named after uh, Lancelot's castle in uh, the Arthurian legend. Steve, do you want to sort of just give us the background on this and what you know about it from the story that you wrote this week? Yep. Um, uh, the um, property went on the, on the market last week. Uh, John Steinbeck died in 1968. His wife, Elaine, lived in it until her death, I believe, was 2003. Uh, she left it to her sister, Jean Boone. Uh, in a trust. Jean Boone passed away a couple of years ago and it's this trust uh, which is administered by one of her sons who's put the, 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 the property on the market. And um, you know, as far as the, that goes, you know, the asking price 17.9 million, which seems high to those of us who have meager 401ks. Um, my 401k is all tied up in GameStop. Uh, <laughs> I'd, I'd put it. Well, you know what I wanted to ask, is there, is there a, uh, is there a history in Sag Harbor of, there are a lot of houses in Sag Harbor that have literary connections, nothing nearly on the level of, of John Steinbeck, but um, does their, do their literary connections increase the value of those properties when they go on the market? Because this is certainly not the first one. It's, it's the most prominent one, but it's not the first one to have gone on the market. I think what, 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 gives this thing its value is the fact that it's almost two acres with about 600 feet of waterfront um, and, a, and a dock already. Um, it's a nice place to build a, you know, 6,000 square foot mansion. Mm. 
I think that's what's ironic here is because you have the the literary importance, but then you have the people that don't care about that and just want the, the location, location, location. You know, it's different if it's like a if if John Steinbeck had lived on, you know, Main Street um, near the library, which is a lovely street, but having that dock access and the waterfront is like makes things really kind of insane and off the charts. Okay, so hang on a second. Are, are we saying that that house would? be on the market at close to that price, whether it was John Steinbeck's house or not? I think that this price is is uh, inflated. And I want to tell you why I think that. So this is 17.9 million and it's essentially a land deal. Like nobody is buying this two bedroom, three bath house with 1,220 square feet of space. Uh, nobody's buying this for the house. This is 1.8 acres with waterfront and it's in Sag Harbor Village, right? So I, I wanted to think of a comparable property. And the most comparable recent sale I could think of is one I reported on that is actually in the village of North Haven. As our listeners might know, North Haven is also, um, it's often called Sag Harbor because it's the same post office in the same school district, even though it's its own peninsula and it's its own village. Uh, but this is the most comparable property I could find. Now, this property, uh, it's a modern home built in 2020. It's 10,000 square feet, eight beds, eight baths, three half baths, and it is on 1.87 acres. That property was last listed for $15.5 million. It's beautiful. It has an amazing pool and patio surround. The final sales price, what it actually sold for, was $14.1 million. Was that waterfront too, Brendan? That was waterfront? Yes, they're they're both waterfront. So I would say they're fairly good comps, even though one is in Sag Harbor and one's in North Haven. But you're talking about $14.1 million for a 10,000 square foot brand new home uh, versus $17.9 million for pure mm-hmm. land. Although, can I point out? Can I point out that the house on Glover Street that I think we were talking about before we came on the air, right around the corner from Canio's Books, I believe sold for ten million, and that was a pure teardown on the water, right? The one on yeah, the one on Glover Street, about the same, same size property, um, you know, for ten million. I mean, so I I wouldn't argue, you know, I, I don't know enough about real estate, but I it strikes me that seventeen point nine million dollars certainly sounds inflated but not super inflated when you know when the other comparables 14 million dollars but i think when you get up to that level and that price range i mean you know what's three million bucks here and there right well i think the better comp is the one on glover at 10 million and that's really about half of what they're asking and so i think the price is inflated but i mean what's the point here i mean we should be talking about how we can actually preserve this house and not arguing we're not real estate agents not arguing about you know what price it should go at um we're, we're literary people right we're newspaper people <laughs> well you know we have we we are we live with a foot in both worlds Catherine. you know we have to but but seriously i think that's setting the groundwork for the for the larger conversation which goes back to so you as literary light would like to see the property preserved uh that price tag makes it i believe steve's story um mentioned that local officials pretty much dismissed that possibility out of hand because of the the price tag that's on that property. Um, I guess that leads to the question that says, so is preserving the house 
critical to you or is it about preser is preserving the property critical to you um is preserving that writing uh gazebo critical what what are your priorities here um in a literary sense well that that's a great question joe and first of all i would say that even though what the powers that be i.e the uh, officials are saying right now may be a little bit on the glum side that can change in a dime and so i would just say i would not i would not want to even put that out there we preserved a cinema on main street that had a neon sign i mean if a neon sign is worth saving john steinbeck's home is worth saving he's a nobel prize winning author the only one on the east end so, but in, in order of priority, in terms of what, you know, what makes sense to save, obviously any material within the home would be essential to save. And also Joyous Guard would be absolutely essential to save. Joyous Guard should be in a museum somewhere, whether it's set within the context on the East End, or let's face it, Steinbeck had a large, well, he grew up in California, there are museums out there. They value their writers out there. There's a huge museum in Salinas. Uh, if, if we couldn't figure out a way to keep it here, Joyce Guard should be in a museum somewhere. So that I think has to be preserved in total, in, in my personal opinion. I think the property, even though it is on, a, on, a, on, a, on Bluff Road, could be, maybe there's a historic uh, pr preservation that could allow it to be preserved. It could be, actually a bit of a museum to writers. Uh, it could be also a, 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 a retreat for writers. So those are, those are my things, but Joyce Scar is absolutely essential. If we can't preserve that, Psych Harbor does not deserve to have a reputation as a literary community. Talk about the rest of the, some of the other names uh, that come out of Sag Harbor, that this, this is not a, a, an individual uh, John Steinbeck is not the only connection to the literary world for Sag Harbor. That's, he's, you know, again, the most famous and, and probably the greatest. But I mean, my goodness, the list of the list of houses you could put on a tour, uh, you know, a literary house tour is pretty significant. Talk about some of the other names. I mean, well, for starters, you drive past E.L. Doctorow's house to get to Steinbeck's house, which is mm -hmm. you know, across the water, Betty Friedan and... Um, Nelson Ogren lived over on Glover, right, Catherine? Mm -hmm, that's correct. Well, Joe Pintaro is down the street from, uh, you know, from E.L. Doctorow. Uh, there's a number of writers who currently living whose names I won't even say because they're, you know, they uh, value their privacy. But the the thing is, you can make a long list, and we have at the bookstore, you know, of maybe 200 names. Writers in Sac Harbor. Then you get at the top of the other list, Nobel Prize winning writers in Sac Harbor. So I, I just really feel that we're, we need as a community to dig into our hearts and realize what that means for us. One of the things that I read in Steve's story, which I thought was interesting, is this, this might be too big of a thing for a local municipality to take on and wondering if there's any maybe federal level institutions that could be brought in to help preserve it, you know, at that price tag. I also am curious if any of us think that because the trust that's um, put the house on the market is Elaine Steinbeck's sister's trust, I believe, right? And that they might have an inherent interest 
to working with an organization that might be interested in buying it and maybe being a little more negotiable on the price if it's an institution that's looking to save it. Do we have any thoughts on that kind of thing? Well, listen, at that price tag, it, it's a, it, it's steep for a small uh, you know community to, to approach. However, just think of all the money that's flooded into the CPF fund over the last year with the accelerated you know, real estate prices that have happened. So there's easily that amount of money if we could figure out a creative way to tap into it. Maybe that's a good chance to talk about the CPF fund and, and, and whether or not it would allow even a purchase of a developed property like this. That is the, pro- the, the problem is that the CPF is, um, it depends on an appraisal and they can, uh, so as soon as the neighbor's house sells for 17, um, then there's a pretty good shot that they can buy it. Um, but that's the problem, though, Steve. Right? If it, if the appraisal of that property isn't seventeen nine, the town wouldn't be able to offer seventeen nine. I, I think they can offer roughly like ten percent on either side of an appraisal. If the town had it appraised and made that offer to the trust, if the trust realized that it was being preserved, they could possibly, if they chose, take that. Right. That's why the value of the property comes into play so significantly that I think any idea, but but I think Catherine's right. I think there are a lot of organizations, arts organizations, that that might be able to step in and, and close any gap that would, would be. And I, I got to tell you, I'm actually really intrigued um, at the idea of a writer's retreat on that site, Catherine. That's that's such a such a great idea. Sort of a writer in residence place. That that's that would be in a perfect world. That's what it should be. I think. Yeah, that's really great. I think it would be fantastic. And you, you know, you you could use the house, but you could and you could have very modest, you know, additions to it. You know, almost like little hermitages for writers to to be in. Uh, so it would be wonderful to do that. Psych Harbor really needs that, uh, I believe, because of our literary legacy. There's really nothing that in the village right now, even with all the wonderful new development that's happened that deals directly with our literary legacy. Um, so I think that that would be great. I think we should also consider there's, uh, well, uh, my fantasy is to reach out to Bruce Springsteen, who was here when the plaque was dedicated at Bay Street. And he was here because of the ghost of Tom Joad, his song. Let's, you know, let's think big. Let's think out of the box. Let's get some people who might actually value his place to maybe uh, be drawn into the creative conversation about purchasing it. It's also not unprecedented. Um, obviously, I, I'm one of the last people to make it to Key West, but uh, Hemingway's house in Key West is, is a place for pilgrimages and, and his writing studio is is almost a shrine to, to what he did. So this this is not reinventing the wheel. It's been done, and I think Steinbeck is is on that level with with Hemingway when you talk about the greatest American authors. And I actually have an interesting story about about John Steinbeck and Hemingway. Um, I don't know, Catherine. I'm sure you've heard this one. So this was back probably you know back when they were doing the old Whalers Festival, and um, John Steinbeck was in a boat like near the the windmill down by the wharf, and. A young, uh, a young fan came up and saw him and asked one of his friends, like, oh, I really, I really, really, you know, want to get his autograph. Do you mind, um, do you mind introducing me? And like, well, he doesn't really like to talk to people. It's like, oh, please, please, please introduce me. I'm a big fan. So like, all right. So, um, so they said, you know, they, they, they let him go on and, and, and the kid said, Mr. Hemingway, I'm such a huge uh. fan. 
Can I get your autograph? And he's like, I'll give you my autograph. And he signed his autograph, Ernest Hemingway, and gave it back to me. Good for him. <laughs> Tom Heimek was full of stories like that, right, Catherine? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Great sense of humor. Yeah. But you brings up a good point about Hemingway's place in Key West, you know, Emily Dickinson in Amherst, Jack London in, uh, in Sonoma. The, all throughout the country, different communities have, you know, seized the, the moment uh, preserve the home of these great writers, and and now there are wonderful places that you can go and visit. And it, it, it's a great resource, and it's it's a great American resource to have. You know, not just for people on the East End, but for people throughout the country and throughout the world. I'll just say very briefly that when the centenary of Steinbeck's um, life happened, Susan Schillinglaw, who is a Steinbeck scholar and has talked at the store many times, she's out in California, brought a busload of people to Sag Harbor on a countrywide Sag Harbor tour and spoke at the bookstore along with Bud Schulberg who lived out here and was also Steinbeck's friend. But the people on the bus, there were people from all over the world. There were people from, you know, from Japan, there were people from Europe. It was gratifying to see how Steinbeck's reach was global. Question, um, Catherine, you mentioned, we, we talked about the fact that Elaine Steinbeck passed away uh, almost 20 years ago. Are we too late having this conversation? Should this have been a conversation that should have been taking place over the last 20 years? Is waiting until it hits the market um, in, in a superheated uh, right now, I mean, if you're ever going to put a, a piece of any piece of property in the region on the market, now's the time to do it. Um, I'm just I fear that we might be too late scrambling to to save it now once it's actually out there. Well, I mean, that's a very good point. Uh, we are absolutely scrambling. And oftentimes when it's when we're in extremis is when decisions are made and 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 and, and efforts are marshaled and we either tip the balance in one direction or the other. And gee, I sure wish that 10 years ago, you know, when Jean was still with us, that the ask had been made, which it may have been, I don't know, but if it had either made and accepted, uh, in other words, that we would have been able to preserve it. But we can't turn the clock back at this point and, you know, we go forward and I just think that we need to be as creative as possible to try to figure out a way to, you know, to preserve the property. I hope that if this if this could ever happen, that they would at least think about putting back that cannon that John Steinbeck had on the property. Um, it's a great story how John John Steinbeck had this cannon and and whenever anybody was visiting, if it was their birthday, he would blow the cannon off once for every year of their life. <laughs> Which drove the neighbors absolutely crazy. <laughs> You'd get cited for that in Sag Harbor mm. today, I think, probably. Even John Steinbeck would get cited for that in Sag Harbor. That's, you know, this is an interesting point. I think like what Catherine said in the beginning is like, I mean, can you imagine what John Steinbeck would think about this? I mean, this is a man who chose Sag Harbor because it didn't look like Newport and it didn't look like the fancy rich people resorts that he found up and down the East Coast. It reminded him of Monterey. I actually interviewed, um, interviewed Elaine Steinbeck way back when, back with that time when... Um, Bruce Springsteen came out to to play at the Bay Street Theater 
And um, she said how, you know, they had been looking for a coastal retreat for a number of years and they were driving through Bridgehampton and saw a sign that said Sag Harbor turn left and they just drove up here. And as soon as John got into town, he's like, this is it. This is what I've been looking for. So he hung out at places like the Black Buoy and he didn't, you know, advertise who he was and, and half of his friends probably didn't even really know who he was. Um, so the idea that his house would now be on the market for 17.9 million. And to be a teardown for uh, a mini mansion, most likely, how insulting is that to, to the memory of John Steinbeck in particular? Well, one of the things I thought would be interesting, I wanted to read a couple of quotes that I had gotten. Now, this is from a story that I wrote back in 2015 when Catherine and Marianne hosted a Steinbeck event at the bookshop. So one of the people that I, that I talked to back then was a professor. His name was Dr. Richard Hart, and he was a philosophy professor at Bloomfield College. And I wrote that, um, that he said in the story that Steinbeck's characters are constantly forced to confront moral dilemmas, issues, yet in the end, they're consciously choosing to live a, a moral existence. Steinbeck's ethics are also tied to social progress, it's not only about making life better for individuals, but altering the structure to make society better. So that was basically his description of Steinbeck's philosophy. It was really about sort of changing society, not just changing the individual. And then one of the things that he said that really struck me back then was what Steinbeck was forecasting, not just in Sag Harbor, but the whole country, was excessive materialism and people's obsession with what they have and not who they are. He was so deeply in touch with his time the people and their experiences. In what I see of his essays and letters from Sag Harbor, he deeply loved the place, but he could see what was on the horizon and it was not so pretty. Mm. Wow. That's very prescient, yeah. Local support comes from the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. In these trying times, working full-time for their clients and the public interest, providing strong advocacy and attentive counsel, be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com. You know, I, again, like who's going to be attracted to that? You know, the, the, the person who, I hate to say it, but it feels like the person who's going to have that kind of money is the one that has no interest in preserving it. Is that? Yeah, I think you're right there. Does that uh, make sense? Well, I mean, just getting back to what you read, I mean, you know, writers and artists, I mean, they're prophetic voices. So it's, it, I'm not uh, surprised to hear Richard's comments about Steinbeck basically seeing the handwriting on the wall as to what would happen in Psych Harbor. And he's probably see, saw that happen in other communities around the country. It, it is uh, unfortunately an all too familiar story of a uh, a downtrodden place becoming discovered by artists and you know within a decade two or three or four or five you know becoming a luxe location uh so you know i guess if we're if we're only going to think of in the box of you know which person's going to come with the money to buy the house then we're probably yeah you're, you're not going to get an enlightened purchaser but i, I guess I, I just have to keep thinking out of the box that we can figure out a way you know to maybe find a person who who will partner with public funding in order to make it happen so that this can somehow be preserved or at a very very minimum the joyous guard is actually uh, preserved because that's that's a jewel. <laughs> I mean, or I should say, actually, in, in modern Sag Harbor parlance, that's the chapel. Joyce Gard is absolutely the, it's a chapel of literature, of arts. It has to be preserved. 
And the fact that we've had a lot of preservation happening in Sac Harbor in the arts in the past several years, I would argue makes it even more imperative that we move forward on this, not less imperative. We need to really, if, if, if the cinema and the church are worthy efforts, which I absolutely believe that they are, then preserving Steinbeck, a Nobel Prize winning uh, author's property is every bit as worthy, if not more but I don't want to even compare them, but we need to, we definitely need to look at it in that context. I want to ask, uh, would it be an acceptable use or beneficial use to have somebody buy it, put a covenant on the property that says, I'm not going to tear down the writing studio. I'm not going to tear down the house, but I'm going to build my big house that I want to build on the water. And then, you know, I'll keep the writing studio over here as a thing of interest and the little house will become my pool house and I'm going to dress it up really nice. And, you know, I'll, I'll replace all the, the wood shingles with likewise wood shingles and it'll be a great restoration, but then it still becomes a private residence and it doesn't have a public use. So, the, you know, they're saving these physical objects, um, but is that a good solution just to have the history saved, even though it doesn't become a place that you could even drive by because it is down a private street? Well, I would say no. <laughs> we need we need that we need joyous guard at the very least. I mean, to have it be there, but privately owned, you know, a tree falls in the forest. Who hears it? I, I just don't think it it would be it, um, it would be better than it being destroyed. But it would have very little benefit to the East End and to America. So one of the discussions, I think, was that in your story, Steve, the idea that Joyous Guard, if it, if it had to be, um, could theoretically be relocated and put into the Steinbeck Park property, which is going to be- I think Jim, Jim LaRocca kind of, kind of pitched that in Steve's story. I think that's an interesting idea, if, if, if nothing else, right? Another potential location, if you were going to, you know, and I, it, it breaks my heart to think of only being able to, to protect the writing studio, but I think another spot would be the, the Whaling Museum might have a nice spot where it'd be a little more protected. I just sort of have this this fear of something like that being moved to Steinbeck Park where it's uh, sort of out in the open and susceptible to vandals or whatever. I don't know why. Saturday concert goers. Yeah, but it, well, the Whaling Museum would make sense because I know that they have the, pla the the manifesto that Steinbeck wrote when they started the Old Whalers Festival that's in their collection. So it would not be totally unrelated. It almost seems, Catherine, I don't know, like, 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 okay, now it's time to form the committee. I Maybe you've already made some of these phone calls, but it feels like we need to get, you know, there needs to be a committee put together and almost like a hierarchy of needs or buyers. Has has anyone called Springsteen yet? That's my question, because that's an obvious first call. Oh, wait, let me get my Rolodex. Let me find the phone number. Oh, that's that's a good first call, though. And, and maybe Jimmy Buffett is next on the list. Those are the guys that this might appeal to because they'll understand. I think they'll get it. Um, you don't have to explain why this is important. And um, for different reasons, I think uh, there are probably a handful of potential philanthropists out there who who might be all willing to step forward for something like this. Well, Springsteen was a fan and friend of Elaine Steinbeck, so maybe if it's pitched that way, um, he might. 
Yeah, I think we absolutely have to. And, uh, you know, Joe, hey, I'm, 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 my 15 minutes of fame is that I met Springsteen that weekend, not at the benefit. I was in the gym in the middle of the afternoon <laughs> where you always go to the gym in the middle of the afternoon because all the people from the city come in the morning and they crowd the gym. <laughs> afternoon you work out no one's there and i see this guy in street clothes you know loafer not loafers but uh, not not sneakers black jeans white t-shirt he's working out i'm working out i'm looking at him because we're like the only two people in the gym god that guy looks a lot like bruce springsteen you know <laughs> and then finally he's on, he's on one of those machines where you sit down and I go over and I said, I said, has anybody ever yeah. told you you look a lot? Like <laughs> no, that's a perfect opening, Catherine. And that's what happened. He, he, he put out his hand and I, I was like, oh, my God, I, I really didn't know. I thought he wasn't. I mean, what, what can I say? It was a long time ago. I was very naive and I should have had this incredible conversation. That's awesome. <laughs> you know, just to show that, yeah, he would be a good person. He's open to it. Uh, we didn't exchange cards. Yeah. <laughs> the white, the white yeah. t-shirt and jeans should have been a giveaway. <laughs> you know, did he have a blue, blue hat sticking out of his back pocket? Right, <laughs> his biceps gave him away. Wow. Great story, smooth, Catherine. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good story. That's really good. So, yeah. So I guess, I guess we got to get a move on on this, don't we, Catherine? I think so, because you know what? Steinbeck's birthday is February 27. Mm -hmm. So it'd be a great birthday present to come up with uh, somebody who's got deep pockets to uh, to buy that property. But yeah, I don't know. Like what? Should the mayor reach out? Should Fred feel? I mean, no, <laughs> I'll call. It? I'll call the boss. If you get the number for me, I'll make that call. I don't mind. Oh, OK, I, I can uh, do that. Right. Well, the, the call. OK. <laughs> get the number. How do we get the number? Okay, maybe he's listening. Yeah, we'll certainly send him a copy of the podcast. We'll send there you him go. A recording. Yeah, Bruce, exactly. please, please. Yeah, absolutely. It, I'm sorry, Catherine. I I just wanted to to say that I think you're really driving home the point that a community like Sag Harbor that has this kind of history and has this kind of cachet with the literary world, you don't get. Most communities don't have an opportunity like this ever that just doesn't happen. A community like Sag Harbor gets an opportunity like this rarely. And when it goes away, it goes away. You, you, you miss it. You miss it completely. I really feel like you've, you've heightened the, the significance of this. Somebody needs to, to step up and try and try and address this quickly. I think. Thanks. I mean, I cannot say that strongly enough. I, I, this is something that Sag Harbor really needs to, you know, sort of wake up and realize this is a jewel. This is a gem. Uh, let's go, you know, let's roll, as they say. Rosinante, revive. <laughs> All right, who's going to sing us out? <laughs> <laughs> Twenty Seven Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com. Thank you for listening. Join us again next week to hear what's news on the East End. Our interlude flute music is by Allison O'Reilly.
Our opening and closing theme music is Boysdale Blues, written and performed by the incomparable Judy Carmichael. Listen to Judy's weekly show, Jazz Inspired, airing on an NPR station near you, or go to jazzinspired.com. 27 Speaks is a weekly podcast produced by the Express News Group, which includes the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, 27East.com, and sagharborexpress.com. Find us on the websites or subscribe through Apple Podcasts.